have a special speaker with us this morning. Uh, if you don't know Kevin, you've seen him preach here before, possibly. Um, he is also a member of our worship team. Um, he's just taking some time off right now, but he's one of our worship leaders, and we're, it's fun to have him do another role today. Um, graduated from Life Bible College. If you've never heard of that, it's, a, it's nothing. It's just a four-square college. No, I'm just kidding. It's our four-square college. It's a big deal. Uh, as Kevin reminds me, it's a big deal. So um, excited to hear the word. Uh, grab a pen and paper. You're going to want to take notes this morning. Um, he um, hears from the Lord. He's prayed about this sermon. And I know what he has, God has for us this morning. So please welcome my good friend, Aww. Kevin Prowlis. Oh. No, we don't hug. Like we can... hug. Okay, we can let's, hug. Let's all right, there we go. Oh, there we yeah. go. That was an awkward hug. Besties. That's all right. Besties. It's recently come to my attention that I don't care about the things that God cares about. No, that's not quite right. Because <laughs> I do love Jesus, and I'm, I'm a Christian, and I, I like to follow him. So let me try that again. How about this? My priorities don't really match God's priorities. No, that's not really better, is it? It's not, not that at all. Definitely not that at all. Maybe I could put it this way. So I was looking through Scripture, and with the help of the Internet... I took all of the things that Jesus talks about and categorized them into like broad categories. Like, yeah, here he's talking about this, here he's talking about that, and made a list of the top five things that Jesus talks about. And it makes sense. Oh, I'm still a slide behind. How about that? How about I'm not on at all? So Jesus talks, uh, here's the top five lists of things Jesus talks about. And to me, I was thinking like, well, if Jesus talks about this a lot, He's probably be thinking about it a lot, and he probably thinks it's kind of important, right? So do I have a, oh, I do have a slide. Awesome. So here's the top five things that Jesus talks about. Number one is eternal life and salvation. Makes sense. Number two, prayer. Also makes sense. Jesus talks about prayer a lot. Number three, persecution. He talks a lot about persecution, not just for himself, which he does talk a lot about that, but also for his followers and, by extension, us. Uh, number four, he talks a lot about judgment and hell, which is not my favorite topic Jesus talks about, but I didn't get to choose what Jesus talks about. He does, and it, he clearly thinks it's important because it's the number four most common thing he talks about. And number five, again, not my favorite thing, hypocrisy. And this is mostly, by the way, Jesus isn't talking about hypocrisy as far as like people who don't know him. For the most part, when he's talking about hypocrisy, he's talking about church people, and like people who claim to follow him and who claim to follow God, um, in other words, us. So that's, that's fun. So I also made a list of the top five things that I like to think about, just to kind of compare and contrast and see like, maybe there's some crossover here. So number one for me, voiceover. I don't know if you know this about me, but I'm pursuing a new career. I'm trying to be a voiceover artist and I've been pursuing it with all my heart for about a year. And it's finally, I finally found something, like people ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? And for the longest time, I had no answer. And now I can finally just be like, I know what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be a voiceover artist, and I'm good at it. And I enjoy doing it, and people pay me to do it. So this is awesome. So I'm, I'm pursuing that with, with almost all of my free time right now. Uh, so that's the number one thing that I'm thinking about. Number two, music. I love music. I love acapella. I like barbershop. I like musical theater. I've been listening to Hamilton a lot lately, and I love it. It's so great. That's right. Thank you for that. <laughs> if that's the only amen I get, I'll take it. 
I love music theory. I love talking about music. I love worship. I like talking about like really nerdy music things, like how the piano is always out of tune because it's it's tuned to Pythagorean tuning, not just intonation, like singing is. Ugh, I could talk about that all day, but I won't. <laughs> you can talk to me later about that if you want to talk about music. I'll, I'll nerd down with you about music anytime. Number three, board games. I love board games. It's my, wow, you guys, you guys are more responsive to my list than Jesus' list, just so you know. <laughs> so clearly you're relating to me in this, in this priority list here. But I, I love board games. I love playing them. I like uh, watching them, like Will Wheaton playing them on YouTube. I like... <laughs> I know, I do. Johanna just recently found out how much I like board games. I feel like she like walked in on me in an uncomfortable situation. Uh, she, she came home and I was, <laughs> I have a board game out and I, I have this thing called foam core. And foam core is like, kind of like cardboard, but it's, uh, it's a little bit thicker and it's made out of foam in the middle. Foam as the core, hence the name foam core. And I was making a custom board game insert because if you've ever played a game, you know, like, it comes all nice and packaged and everything's all wrapped up and, and you pull all the pieces out and you, like, cut all the cardboard pieces out. And then you play the game and you try and put it back in and you're like, it doesn't fit in the box anymore. Dang it, what am I going to do? So I just solved that problem, made a little custom insert, and it's so cool, guys, I'm telling you. Because all of the little pieces that, like, have to be separated out before you play, I just made a little container for it. So you just pull the container out, set it on the table, and we're ready to go. Let's do this. So that's the thing that I care about. And Johanna was like, who did I marry? Oh, geez, I don't know. Number four on my list, obviously, pizza. Does anything more need to be said about that? Yes, amen. And number five, comedy. I love comedy. I love talking about comedy. I like doing comedy. I like watching comedy. I like stand-up comedy, movies. Comedy, comedy, comedy. I love it. If you go to my Facebook page, it's like 95% goofs and like 5% like pictures of our dog with a goof as the caption. That's my life. That's, I love comedy. So that's, that's my top five list, and I think that looks pretty good. But let's compare and contrast a little bit my list versus Jesus' list. So, I mean, yeah, there's board games. That's kind of like, I feel like I'm persecuted for liking board games. No, not really. There's really not a lot of crossover there, is it? There's, there's definitely, definitely not. Like hypocrisy, comedy, no, not really anything there. So it's pretty obvious that like the things that Jesus has on his mind that he cares about, I'm not thinking about those things. I'm thinking about my list. And that's okay, right? Because I mean, like, Jesus was Jesus. He like he was a rabbi. He had a purpose for being on earth. Like, he's got stuff to do. He can't be thinking about board games. And pizza wasn't even a thing. Like, how could he be thinking about that? He would have. If pizza was a thing, he probably would have been thinking about it. But, so I'm good, right? But then I get to a verse like this that Jesus says, and he lifted his eyes up on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, and when they exclude you, and revile you, and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day, and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. So I come to a verse like that, and I'm like, eh, no thanks. I definitely don't want any of those things, no. 
Blessed are you who are poor. I don't like being poor. I don't want to be poor. Remember my top number one thing is voiceover? It actually makes pretty good money, and that's part of the reason why I'm pursuing it is because I don't want to be poor. Blessed are you who are hungry is kind of the opposite of pizza. I can't do that. I also have the pizza. Blessed are you who weep like I'm fine with crying. I like a good cry. I'm, men should cry. That's awesome. But I'm not like seeking that out, right? And blessed are you when people hate you. No thanks. Like I spend a good portion of my waking hours getting people to not hate me. Like that, hence the comedy and the board games and all the other things that I think about. Like people like you when you like the same stuff and people tend to like you when you're funny sometimes. Um, and so I'm really, really not all about all those things. No, thank you. But that's, that's all right, right? Like, it's, it should be okay, cause, just because this one verse doesn't apply to me, it's, it should be okay. But then Jesus says this, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. And I'm like, yeah, that's great. I, that's awesome. I love that. I'm on board with that. Yes, please. Until someone does something that I don't like. Until I actually have like an enemy and I'm like, no, I don't want to love them. Like, they're my enemy. I don't like them at all. The opposite of this thing is what I'm doing. <laughs> like, I like the idea of it, but like, like, I don't have time to love my enemies, right? Like, we're all so busy that like, if I have a choice to hang out with my enemy or hang out with a friend that I haven't seen in six months, I'm going to hang out with my friend every single time. Not so much on the loving the enemies thing. Or about this one. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. And I'm like, amen, yeah, that's awesome. I'm for that. That's great. Sign me up for that. Until someone cuts me off in traffic. And I'm like, oh, you know there's some judgment. I know your story. You were a bad person. You probably just came after kicking a puppy. Like, you're <laughs> awful. Or like, if a coworker like does something wrong, that's like they should have known better, but they did it anyway. Or like maybe because I told them like don't do this thing, or else this is gonna happen, and they did the thing, so the thing that I said happened happened. And of course I'm gonna condemn them for that. They need to be called out, right? How are they gonna learn? So it turns out that like I like the idea of this, but I don't actually like do it really well so much. And then even to the like to the minuscule detail of what Jesus would say, like, and then he said, come and have breakfast. I like lunch. <laughs> so even in, those, even in this minute details, we just don't seem to agree on things, on how we want to do this thing called life. But it's not, that's okay, right? Like, I'm good. I'm trying my best. Like, he says to, this, uh, to his followers, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Because it's hard, Jesus. Because I'm trying to do life here. It's 2017 in America, and I'm trying to like make this thing work. It's really hard to do what you tell me to do when you're telling me to do all these weird things, like loving my enemies. But like, I'm trying. I'm trying. I really am trying. I'm doing a lot to try. Is that good enough? It should. I feel like that should be good enough. And then he hits me with this: For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. 
I'm not good, am I? Because I don't see myself really bearing a lot of this good fruit that Jesus is talking about. And I don't think I'm producing a lot of bad fruit, but like, I'm not really producing that much fruit at all. And so when I come to a verse like this, I go, Jesus, I'm good, right? Like, I'm, I'm trying, that's good, right? I don't know that that's, I don't know that's gonna do it for me because I'm not bearing the good fruit. So if I'm not bearing good fruit, maybe I'm not a good tree. Ah, oh, that's hard. And if I'm not a good tree, then like, what am I doing here? And like, I thought Christianity was supposed to be easy, right? Like, didn't you hear when you first became a Christian? It, you probably not if you came to this church because we, we do spirituality a little bit different, but in a lot of churches, and as, as it was for me growing up, like you were told, all you have to do is just say a prayer and you're good. Just accept Jesus in your heart and you're done. Mwah, mwah, go, be on your way. And then like, Sometimes they'll, they'll like go like, oh, actually, we need to add a little bit to that. I, I know we just said just say the prayer and you're good, but if you could like go to church every now and then, that would be great. And also, if you could like serve, oh, you're busy. That no, totally understand. That's fine. Go in peace. It's fine. It's fine. And so we have this like weird tension of like Christianity is supposed to be really easy, I think, and yet Christianity also feels really, really, really hard. So how do we, what do we do with that? Is Christianity supposed to be easy? Is Christianity supposed to be hard? If it's supposed to be hard, why are we telling people it's easy? If it's, hard, if it's supposed to be easy, why does it feel so hard? So that's the tension we're gonna live in. And I feel like in the midst of this struggle and this tension, God spoke to me something really cool. Uh, and so that's where we're headed. So we're gonna have Be my friend Becca pray for us. I asked her to pray for me because she's my friend and I trust her and she's awesome. So... Oh, I'm supposed to vamp while you get the mic over to her, but I'm not so good at the, the vamping. Kurt does that a lot better. So, Becca, you know what we do. Pray for me, pray for us, and pray for another church as well. God, I just thank you so much for this opportunity, God, to hear one of your children speak. God, each one of us is different yet in your image. And I thank you for the words that you've given, Kevin. I just pray that they would... Um, God, your Holy Spirit would speak to each one of us and, and show us, God, how do we get this right? How do we be more like you? And God, I just lift up Eastside Foursquare to you, God. I just ask that the message that is there today, God, your Holy Spirit would be revealing who you are to them as well. Hmm. Amen. Amen. So this is awesome because I like using technology for my notes and my Surface, thanks Microsoft, you guys were like, hey, you know what would be a good idea? Let's do an update and reboot. <laughs> so that's fine it's fine I don't need notes speaking of things that are hard preaching without notes okay so let's come back to scripture because Jesus has other things to say in Matthew he says this come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's what I'm talking about. This is what the kind of spirituality Jesus promises, right? He's talking in the face of a people who would make it harder and harder and harder to seek God. He says, no, 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 no. That's not what it's about. I'm here to give you rest. Oh, I need rest. I'm here to make it easy. I'm here to make your burden light. Yeah. And then he goes around and says this, 
back to the, back to the fruit stuff. Either make a tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, which in the Greek that means something really strong and really offensive, but I won't say it this morning because I want you to have a really positive opinion of Jesus and think he only says like nice things. But come to me afterwards if you want to know what that actually means. It's great. Uh, How can you speak good when you're evil? How can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified, and by your words, you will be condemned. Yeah, emphasis for that, condemned. It's like, it, it's all about the fruit, right? There's not really a cool way to say that, is there? Like, yo, dog, how's your fruit? No, not the bananas, your fruit. I'm talking about your fruit. Not a cool way. Never mind. Uh, um, but yeah, and so Jesus is like, it actually your fruit matters a lot. And by your words, you're going to be justified. By your words, you're going to be condemned. So yoke is easy, burden is light, sure. But, but it's actually a, about the fruit. Or this, he told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Forever would, and this, by the way, this idea is one of the few ideas present in all four of the gospels. He says, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That sounds really difficult. Like taking up your cross to follow Jesus is essentially saying like, I'm ready to give up my life and die like Jesus did. And I really like my life, but what you're telling me I have to do is lose it for your sake so I can find it. It's kind of that, like, reverse. Jesus likes to do the, like, the one, two, like, if you, do, if you do the bad thing, the good thing happens, or, like, the flip. Anyway, Paul also has things to say about this. And Paul in Philippians says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you've always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence... Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. So that's fun. Working out your salvation. That almost seems like if, if it wasn't Paul saying that, if someone just came up to you and like, hey, yeah, thanks for saying that prayer, but now you got to work out your salvation. You'd be like, that doesn't really sound like the Christianity that I signed up for, right? Like, I thought it wasn't about working out my salvation. I thought Jesus died on the cross, so I didn't have to do that. But this is Paul. This is in the Bible. This is straight out of Philippians. You can read it if you want. Uh, work out your salvation. And, and Okay, sure, I'll work out my salvation with like love and peace and joy and happiness. No, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like that's so ominous. It, is, it also kind of sounds a lot like work to me. But then in a different letter, Paul writes this to the Galatians. You foolish Galatians, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Spoiler alert, it's the second thing. Are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain if it really was in vain? So again, I ask, does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you by works of the law or by your believing what you've heard? Again, spoiler alert, it's the second. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. So Paul is ta- saying like, yeah, I know I told you in, or in the other letter that gets passed around to all the churches, like work out your salvation. But here it's like, no, 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 no. It, it didn't start with you b- 
doing works, it shouldn't end with you doing works. And like, he's very strongly criticizing the Galatians by, for saying, well, now that we're saved, we gotta do all this stuff. We gotta jump through all these hoops. We gotta do all these things. Otherwise, we're not really saved, right? And the example he uses is the most audacious example. If, like, this is like crazy. Abraham. If you don't know Abraham, he's in Genesis 12, like 6,000 years ago he was alive. And when God, post-flood, God finally decides like, I'm ready to talk to my people again. I'm ready to go back into the world. Abraham is the guy he talks to. And he tells Abraham like, hey, here's this thing I'm gonna do. I just, it, this is awesome and I'm gonna use you and it's gonna be great. I'm gonna make a people out of you. We'll call them Israel. That'll be a nation someday. And Abraham's like, sweet, sounds good. I'm in, let's do this. And that's what he gets credit for. He doesn't do anything. He hasn't like followed God that much yet. God spoke to him and he was like, hey, I'm gonna do a thing. Great, that's the thing. That's the positive example that Paul is using here. He's not even doing anything, he just believed him. There's no action there. It's just like, sure, yeah, I'm in. New startup, I like it. And that's, so again, like, is it work? Is it not work? Do I just have to say the prayer and believe a thing? Or do I have to work out my salvation with fear and trembling? Is it about the fruit or is it not about the fruit? What's the deal with the fruit? And so God finally gave an answer to me. And if you know what this thing is, you're going to be like, that makes no sense why this is the answer. And if you don't know what this thing is, you're going to be like, that makes no sense. Why is this the answer? But this is going to be cool. Uh, and the answer is the Trinity. I know, right? I see those blank stares and I agree. It's so awesome. The Trinity, of course. So the Trinity is this idea of who God is. You see, God is God the Father. God is also God the Son, and God is also God the Holy Spirit. But the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is not God. So there's three separate beings, but we're monotheistic. We only believe in one God. And so it's this weird three-in-one situation of like, yeah, we believe in God, Oh, yeah, yeah but, but God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. You know, God. Easy, right? And if you've never, like, had this concept explained to you before, you're like, this makes no sense. So let me try and explain it. There's a few metaphors we like to use. Uh, the first one is ice water steam. So uh, you have water that's just water, it's wet, and it, it can also become ice if you freeze it. And if you melt it, it becomes steam. So you have three different parts, but it's the same essence. It's the same chemical makeup. I'm not a science guy, but that's true as far as I know. Um, so ice, water, steam. It's the same, uh, same essence, three different parts. The problem with the ice, water, steam, though, is that this is actually a heresy called modalism. Sorry. Um, and I, sh I actually should have prefaced this before. All of our explanations to understand the Trinity are all heresies. They don't make any sense. All of them are incomplete because God is infinite. Because we can't really actually understand him. And this three in one thing just doesn't make sense to us because we are one and one thing, right? Like I'm me, I'm, I can't be me and also not me. Philosophy says that's impossible. But so we're, all of these things are 
tools to help us, but they all have problems. So use it as a tool to help you, but also know that they all have problems. So ice water steam is great because it, it helps you understand like, oh, okay, three different parts, uh, but it's still one like ice cube still becomes water and becomes steam, but it's still one ice cube. But it's, that's a heresy called modalism because Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit and had God the Father talking to him at the same time. And you can't have a situation where you have water, ice, and steam like all together as the same thing. They're kind of separate. And so if we took that metaphor to its logical conclusion, you have to say that like God the Father stopped being God the Father when Jesus was on earth. And that's really problematic. And then like after Jesus was resurrected, he went up to heaven and then he just kind of vanished because the Holy Spirit came on us and that's God now. And that's not accurate. That's called modalism. Uh, in the first century, that was a real heresy that they had a big problem with. So again, this is a tool. Uh, the other uh, metaphor we like to use is of, a, of an author. And an author wants to write a story, but he wants to use himself as the main character in the story. So he's writing this story, and he has this character of himself that is interacting in the story, making all the decisions that he would make. And he knows, because he knows himself, and he's the one writing the story. And so he's writing all these different plots and all these different settings, and the character in the story is responding as him. So it's essentially him in the story, but you have an author who's outside of the story, outside of the timeline of the story, outside of time, that's able to see the whole story and also a version of himself that's inside the story that's in a moment in history and time in that story. And then if you know anything about authors, you know that like they can't just write something. There's a little piece of themselves in everything they write. And so that whole, the, every character, every setting, every plot has the essence of the author. And so that's sort of like the Trinity. Like you have God the Father as the author of the, of the story, outside of time, able to do whatever he wants. But then he also wrote himself into the story, making decisions as if he were there, and that's Jesus. And then you have like the, uh, the story itself, the essence of the author that's inside every single part of that story, and that's like the Holy Spirit. So that's a pretty good metaphor, right? Also a heresy. I wish I could just say that. Like, <laughs> I was in a conversation with someone, and I'm like, that's a heresy. I have to do that. <laughs> anyway. So the problem with that version of, of uh, the, that metaphor of, of the Trinity is that you have God creating the Father, or God creating the Son, and God creating the Holy Spirit. And you have God the Father like existing first and deciding, like, you know what I need? I need a Jesus and a Holy Spirit. Let's write that down. And it's very clear in Scripture that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existed. There was never a moment where one existed where the other two did not. From the beginning of whatever, they've all existed. They've never not existed. It's, and it's hard because the Bible isn't God's, primarily God's um, history. It's our history. And so Genesis 1 starts at the beginning of our history, but God is infinite and existed before the events of Genesis 1, before time was a thing, if you want like a weird brain paradox. Um, so there's that. That's fun. Or this other thing, the Greeks tried to understand the Trinity in this way. They used this word perichoresis. It's called the indwelling is, an, is kind of a translation for it. And this one's a little more heady, but it's the idea of like, I'm Kevin. I'm an individual. I'm also part of Lake Sam. So when you talk about Lake Sam, you're talking about me. But there, sometimes you're talking about me and not Lake Sam. So I'm individual, but I'm also part of this other thing. 
And so I'm one and I'm also multiple. And I also have multiple roles, right? Because I'm, I'm just like a, a worker. I'm also a husband. I'm also a friend. I'm, I, so I'm fulfilling all of these different roles. And you're, you could be talking about me by saying, oh, you know, Lake Sam, how they have people in their early 30s, I don't know, like how you describe me. Oh, they have weird people like Kevin. Like, so they, you're talking about Lake Sam, you're also talking about me, but you can also be talking about me and not talking about Lake Sam, like the board game thing. Although it sounds like that's a pretty universal truth here. <laughs> um, and, and so there's, there's this like, there's this me and then there's also not me. And then there's also this sense of like, have you ever been in a conversation with a group of people and like the conversation kind of takes its own personality? Where you're like, yeah, this conversation represents me and it also represents this other person I'm talking about. But it just kind of feels good. Like it feels like sweet or it feels sarcastic or it feels like whatever, pick your adjective. But like the conversation kind of takes on a spirit of its own. Or if you've ever um, done public speaking or, or led worship or done any kind of thing with groups of people, as a worship leader, I'm cognizant of this all the time. There's like a, a temperature in the room you kind of like read the room and you're like, yeah, people aren't feeling it today. Or, oh man, people are, are really responsive. And you can't like, like sure, there's body language that can tell you that, but like there's just something in the air that like, yeah, people are really open to Jesus today. Or, uh, people are really tired today. You can feel it in the room. And so that's sort of like the Trinity. Like each of the parts are separate and they have like this conversation. It's a, it's a mess, basically. I don't have a name of a heresy for this, I'm sure it is a heresy, but it's just kind of a little confusing. But that's sort of the idea of the Trinity, right? So you have three different parts, but they're actually one and the same. They're all the same thing, but one. We, have, we serve one God, he's three parts, but he's also one. <laughs> Your head just exploded. Sorry. So how, what does this have to do with whether or not Christianity is hard or easy? Are we preaching two sermons here? What's going on? Here's, here's how the Trinity is the answer to this. And by the way, this is my metaphor for the Trinity. This is a tool. I'm sure if you got real deep into this, you'd find that this is also a heresy. So just take it as a tool, as a piece of helpful information. And when it starts getting problematic, say that's where the help, the metaphor ends. It's no longer helpful to me because otherwise you could just pick this apart and find reasons why this isn't true. But part of it is true. And so that's kind of what I'm getting at. So give me grace for the fact that I'm trying to explain the infinite using words so we embrace the Trinity, we embrace God the Father. And then we embrace my clicker stopped working. Oh, I didn't actually put it all up there. Sorry. God the Father. We, did, we encountered God the Father this morning as we entered into worship because God as Father is this holy other thing. He's huge, he's mighty, he's awesome. And I mean that literally, he's, he's awe-inspiring. He created the world. He created the heavens and the earth. He can breathe life into death. He can turn dry bones into flesh. He's amazing. He's a pillar of fire, a pillar of cloud, incredible, so outside of time, so, oh. And it creates in you when you encounter that God, this reverence, this fear, because what am I doing in this God's presence? How did I get here? This is dangerous. Because this is God. This is this huge, awesome, amazing thing. 
does he have any rules for me for being here? Because I don't feel right about this. Yeah, he does. Yeah, if you want to be in his presence, you got to jump through these hoops. You have to do these certain things. You have to do these certain behaviors because you don't deserve to be in God's presence because he's holy and you're not. And so when you encounter God in this way, yeah, you're going to do the things that he wants you to do because otherwise he could burn you right? <laughs> like you could, you could literally die. If you read the Old Testament, one of the, the common threads, and the New Testament for that matter, is every time people come face to face with God, their first thought is, crap, I'm dead. This is it. I'm unclean. Like Isaiah says this, like, I, I met God and I fall on my face because I'm not worthy to even be here. And I'm a man of unclean lips. So what am I doing here? I guess I'm dead. It's the same reason in the, in the New Testament when angels come to people and they're like, well, I'm dead, that's it. What, and they all, angels all the time are like, don't be afraid. They have to say that because our first reaction is, I saw God, I'm not supposed to see God, I'm human, I'm dead, I'm afraid. And that's the proper response to God. If God is just this, if God is just outside time, just this holy other thing that, can, that is incredible and powerful, we should be afraid Anytime we come into his presence. And you have to do the right things to stay in his presence. You have to talk, say, do the, jump through the right hoops. You have to talk to the right people. You have to do the right behaviors. The problem with that is that you're just doing the right behaviors. And we've been doing the right behaviors for thousands of years, and it turns out that doesn't really work that well. Because as, as soon as you, uh, like, Take a step back, you go, yeah, okay, I'm doing the right behaviors, but I'm still pretty selfish. But I'm, I still don't actually really want to do these things. I'm just doing them because I don't want to die. And this God seems pretty important. But if that's all God is, that's the right call, is just to do the behaviors, just to jump through the hoops. Fortunately, God is not just that thing. Because God is also the Son. And God is the Son as Jesus is fully human. And he changes the dynamic a little bit. See, God as Father, the relationship to God is kind of a slave owner relationship, or it's a uh, master servant or boss worker or whatever, but it's an inferior relationship. He's up here, we're down here, whatever he says, we're going to do. But when Jesus comes down, he doesn't really come down to our level, he comes down and he brings us up. So now we're equal. Now we're face-to-face -face with a person. Now we have a relationship. We have intimacy. And if you've ever been in a relationship, both platonic or romantic, you know relationships are very hard. Very hard. You, like, when I was single, I thought, I'm really good at being in relationships. I, I, like, I'm really mature. And I, for a single person, I was. And then I started into a relationship, and I went, oh, I am very not mature. I am the opposite of that. <laughs> okay, that's good. Because relationships are really hard. And, but relationships are really, really good, both, again, romantic and platonic. And relationships take a lot of work. But it doesn't, at their best, they don't feel like work, do they? It, it doesn't feel like, I better jump through these hoops so she likes me. It's, no, she likes me. And I want to jump through hoops, not because I'm jumping through hoops, but because I like her too. 
because I want a relationship with him, so I'll, I'll do the thing he wants. Like, it's, it's a different motivation. And it's, it's almost like this. You could say, God the Father, that servant-master relationship, you're doing a behavior to try and be good for that person. Like, hopefully if I do this, I'll be good. In a relationship, you're saying, I'm good, so I'm gonna do this thing. So it's just a different way to do it. And when there's intimacy and relationships involved, it doesn't feel like jumping through hoops. But at the same time, if you've ever had a long-term relationship come to an end, you, you, you look back on it and you go, you know, that was, I'm really sad it ended, but I'm still kind of the same person I was at the beginning of the relationship. Maybe some subtle shifts, like I now have the toilet seat down, or I now like, ask people if they're gluten-free or not, or whatever. Like, there's some like little, subtle things that you care about, but at the, it, if you really were honest with yourself, you'd be like, yeah, I'm still pretty selfish. I'm still pretty stubborn. Well, for me, maybe you're not. Uh, yeah, I'm still, that's still me, still just a version of myself. Not much is changing there. And so you're kind of dependent on the relationship working and you pouring into the relationship, but you're not actually being transformed. And if you want <laughs> proof of this, I'm a perfect mo uh, model for this, because Johanna, I've been married almost 10 years. Uh, it'll be 10 years in July, which is crazy, because we're not that old, and yet here we are being old. Um, and to this day, like, I'll do anything for her. I love her to death, and like, whatever she wants to do, I'll do it. I'll jump through all the hoops she wants, until she says the phrase, so that last slice of pizza's mine, right? And all of a sudden I go like, oh, no, 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 you draw the line. <laughs> so clearly I'm still selfish enough that pizza's the thing that brings it over. That's crazy. That's insane that that's the thing, right? And yet, 10 years later, I know how many slices she's had, and that one's mine, so don't touch it. <laughs> so clearly it's not working. <laughs> as far as the transformational bit, the relationship's working great. <laughs> Although after this, this example, it may not be. Um, <laughs> so with God, we have the Father, we have the Son, and that's awesome. And honestly, I could end there, and we'd be pretty good. That's a different way to look at our relationship with God. But we're not done yet. Because I know. <laughs> I heard that yawn, and I took it as a... <gasps> um, we also have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, he talks about it himself as a guide or as a counselor. And if you've ever been to a counselor, I'm pro-counseling because I've seen the, the benefits of it. And if you're not, then that's fine. Uh, this is counseling at its best. And so if you haven't had a good experience, then maybe it's not you, maybe it's the counselor. But this is what counseling is supposed to be like. You take yourself, you take your brokenness, you take all of this stuff that you're finally gonna be honest about, and you take it to a counselor and you say, here's my mess. Here's all of it. Here's all the crap I'm dealing with. Here's my brokenness. Here's my dysfunction. Here's how my parents taught me. Here's how my, what my upbringing was like. Here's how that bully in elementary school has shaped my life to this day. Blah, here you go. What do you got for me? And the counselor has a vision for your life of what it could look like if you weren't dealing with all of that mess and all that brokenness. And as you slowly unpack those things one at a time, you hand in your brokenness, you deal with it, and you come out healed. You come out whole. You come out a different person. So it's 
the word is transformational. You actually become a different person. And if you've ever done couples counseling, which we've done both because we needed it and also when we didn't need it, and both times it's the same, same idea. It's here's this mess we're dealing with, and by the way, she's awful, so fix her. And I'm, I think I'm good, so just tell me that I'm good and we're, we're good. And the counselor goes, okay, maybe not so much with that, but here's my vision for what your relationship could look like. Let's unpack those things. Let's look what's going on underneath those things. Let's look at why you guys are interacting this way. And as you bring your relationship to a counselor, both of you individually gets transformed and the relationship gets transformed as well. And your relationship becomes, like individually you become less dysfunctional and you become less broken and you become hopefully less selfish until there's pizza involved. But your relationship itself becomes less broken. The relationship itself becomes less dysfunctional. You become more one, you might say. And so we have this interesting dynamic where we have God the Father telling us what to do. And we'll jump through those hoops because we don't want to die. And at the same time, we have this relationship with, with God, this intimacy with God. We're close, we're tight, we're working through the things. And I love you and I'm so glad you accept me for who I am, even though I'm broken and selfish and dysfunctional. And let's take that relationship to a counselor and let the counselor transform us. Oh, and I didn't mention this before, but the counselor actually lives inside you. And minor detail, it's God. Good, good counselor, right? And so you have all of these dynamics working together. And when we start to embrace God in that way, I think that's going to be the thing that transforms us, that changes us. So... I was coming to this conclusion of the Trinity like, oh, this is cool, this is, this is awesome, uh, but I haven't been bearing much good fruit lately or any fruit. I'm sure if we counted all the selfishness and all the things that I don't like to count, it's probably bad fruit. Maybe I'm, I'm a bad tree. Can I do this? Because God the Father, even though we've broken him apart into three different parts because he's a trinity, he's still God the Father. He's still God the holy other almighty thing that could strike you down if he wanted to. I don't know if I want to risk going into an intimate relationship with God when that could happen. So what do I do with that? And I got my answer in the most unlikeliest of places from one of my favorite shows, Doctor Who. I love that there's some Whovians here. <laughs> this is great. You'll, you'll see in a moment. Because you come to God and you're like, I've basically betrayed you. What, do I, what, what are you going to do with me now? And this is how God responds. Sound on. Makes you very suggestible. I allowed the whole scenario to play out just as you planned. I was curious about how far you would go. Well, now you know. Yeah. Oh, no. I love him. Yeah, you're quite the mess of chemicals, aren't you? So what now? What do we do now, you and me? What happens now? Doctor. Go to hell. 
Absolutely fair enough. Clara? You asked me what we're going to do. I told you. We're going to hell. Or wherever it is that people go when they die, if there is anywhere. Whatever it is, we're going to go there and we're going to find Danny. And if it is in any way possible, we're going to bring him home. Almost every culture in the universe has some concept of an afterlife. I always meant to have a look around, see if I could find one. You're going to help me? Well, why wouldn't I help you? Because of what I just did, I just... You betrayed me. You betrayed my trust, you betrayed our friendship, you betrayed everything that I've ever stood for. You let me down! And why are you helping me? Why? Do you think I care for you so little that betraying me would make a difference? Stop it with the eyes. Don't do that with the eyes. How do you do that anyway? It's like they inflate. Cut out the whining while you're at it. We've got work to do. This is it, Clara, one of those moments. What moments? The darkest day, the blackest hour. Chin up, shoulders back. Let's see what we're made of. You and I. Isn't that great? First of all, it's Doctor Who, but... <laughs> you betrayed me, you betrayed everything, so why are you helping me? Do you think that I care so little for you that betraying me would make a difference? <sighs> That's what happens when we encounter God. Yeah, he's fully other. Yeah, he could destroy us if he wanted. But that's what God's like. Oh, and by the way, while you're at it, just let's go ahead and cut out the whining because we got work to do. Let's do this. We're doing this together. That's the kind of God we serve. And when we embrace him in this Trinitarian way, in this God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, in reverence, in intimacy, and in transformation, that's how we become different. So is Christianity easy or is Christianity hard? Well, yeah. If we encounter him only as a reverent God, jumping through hoops, it's going to be really hard. If we're encountering him in this intimate way, it'll be easier, but it's still really hard. In fact, <laughs> if that's how we're going to do it, if we're going to try and do it on our own, if I'm going to be consumed with my top five things that I like, it's impossible. Christianity is impossible. It can't be done. But if we embrace the Holy Spirit, if we embrace God as a counselor, if we allow him to transform us from within, it's the easiest thing ever. If we just focus for one moment off of ourself and the things that we care about, and we just focus not on his top five list, on him, on this relationship, on this transformational thing that he's trying to do with us, it's so easy. It's the easiest thing ever. So is it easy? Is it hard? I don't know. But I do know this. It's good.
relationship with God is good. And if we will stick to it, we may find ourselves bearing good fruit. And we'll eventually come to the realization that, you know what? Because of the Holy Spirit, I'm a good tree. So is it easy? Is it hard? I don't know. But it's good. Thanks, guys. Thank you.